This season, Handcut Radio is sponsored by Thomas Mason, an historic British textiles brand which is owned and protected by the Albini Group. Dating back to 1796 and founded in the town of Nelson, Lancashire, Thomas Mason has long specialised in luxurious, superfine shirting fabrics, which are known equally for their quality, design flair and textile innovation. From the invention of Zephyr in 1818 to the company's pioneering work in the traceability of cotton today, if you like to have your shirts made, Thomas Mason is the cloth to ask for. Huge thanks to the Thomas Mason team for making this season possible. Now, on with the show. Hello, stylish folk, and welcome as always to Handcut Radio. I'm your host, Alex Fetkovich. Now, when we decided to visit New York a few months back, one name came up time and again. Oh, you've got to speak to Ouija. Ah, you're headed to New York. Well then, make sure you speak to Ouija. So cried the style cognoscenti, and we did. Ouija Theodore is a pillar of the NYC style scene and the founder of his much-beloved store, the Brooklyn Circus. I thoroughly enjoyed meeting him. We bumped into each other night before our scheduled interview at a party, and he struck me as switched on and generous of spirit, an impression that this podcast interview cemented. We talk about Ouija's pre-menswear career as a party promoter, explore why he's building a community-driven 100-year plan for the Brooklyn Circus, and why life is all about how you dress to show up. So, let's get into it. Ouija, it is a real pleasure to be here with you. Uh, All this week, we've been diving around New York. We're recording this towards the end of our time here. And everyone we've spoken to has been like, oh, you've got to meet this guy. He's the man. You've got to have him on the podcast. So this is really exciting. They're all on payroll. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, man, it's wicked. It's 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 a pleasure to be here in your store. What I wanted to do with this interview is kind of explore all the different influences and parts of your life that feed into the Brooklyn Circus. Um, because I gather from my kind of research and reading around that you have worn a lot of different hats yes. and done some interesting things. Um, and I also think even just the name, the Brooklyn Circus, I find fascinating because it suggests multiples and different layers and diff- sort of a multiplicity of different things, right? So... Where do we begin here? Pre-clothing, party planner, is oh, that yeah. right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Promoter, <laughs> party planner. <laughs> Let's start there. Tell me a bit about that chapter of your life. Well, actually, before that, I was a DJ. Ah. I, I DJed, um, you know, reggae music. I had a love for reggae music. I'm from Haiti originally. Yes. Landed here, and reggae music was uh, my first exposure to uh here in America to foreign music. Right. So I listened to Stevie Wonder and I listened to um, Earth, Wind & Fire, you know, all types of music. As a kid, you know, listening to what the grown-ups were listening to and that was foreign. But coming here in America, I had, you know, my first exposure and, you know, having the ability to choose my music, reggae music was it. And so I DJed reggae for, um, for a good chunk. Awesome. And then that evolved into the party promotions. Right. And that was... 
yeah, that was a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was. And that was, we, we were sitting with Brian at Wooden Sleepers yesterday, who sends his regards. Oh, I love Brian. Says he misses you. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love Brian. That's <laughs> he my guy. He was saying you were a party promoter up in Long Island. Is that right? Well, we uh, promoted events in Manhattan for the most part. I went to school in Long Island, went to Stony Brook. Right. Um, we did, um, yeah, we started on the island. Right. Started at Stony Brook, sweet parties, illegal parties on campus, you know, <laughs> Brooklyn kid in Long Island, <laughs> disrupting the campus. Was everyone on campus like, he's cool, he's from Brooklyn? Well, I he's guess, yeah, kid. I guess so. They were like, yo, Brooklyn dude, um, yeah, with energy, nonstop. So, yeah, we had some, I, mean, I produced some of the, you know, most uh, memorable illegal parties on campus. <laughs> and so upon, yeah, I was on my way out graduating from Stony Brook. I went around with a black and white composition notebook and took everyone's ad address. And I was like, all right, I'll send you invites and flyers to my parties off campus, you know, because we didn't want it to end. Right. It's like, all right, what do we do? But in the same breath, I really wanted to get into the design space. I wanted to... Um, what appealed about that? Why was design um, kind of in the back of your mind? You know, because that was that was a tool. It was a tool. It was a weapon. You know, it was a way for me to. Um, it was it was my form of communication in a sense. Because in high school, you know, when we're talking '90s Brooklyn, you know, that was. You know, I mean, Brooklyn has always been a mecca and a capital of you know self expression mm. and also self expression through clothing, footwear, and so we were smack dab in the middle of it in Brooklyn at Brooklyn Tech. And so I realized that it was the power, you know, you can say so much without saying anything. Yeah. You know, verbally, you'd show up and be like, oh, whoa, whoa, what are those? Oh, what? Jesus. You know, and, exactly. that, was, and that was a reaction. And so I realized that. And so design and my mom is also, you know, um, in and out of the creative space. And she bought and sold, you know, craft and art. And cool. I mean, everyone... Yeah, my aunt in Haiti was a seamstress. Uh, so, you know, that it was around me. It was you Yeah, know, it's in the blood. It's in yeah, it was it was around. Yeah, it was in the food. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, so you're promoting parties, you're throwing some mad nights, and you've got in the back of your mind, I want to go into design in some way, shape or form. How did that kind of evolve to the Brooklyn Circus? Because I think did you did you open a design studio pre- this. Yeah. So, so the parties themselves, the original. So I started. So King Ramsey was the name of you know the DJ sound, sound system. You guys are from London. You know about sound systems and sound clash. Bashman. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so it was King Ramsey, and I was a motorcycle rider. Still ride uh, motorcycles, and back then it was all the crotch rockets and the Japanese bikes. Mm. And I designed a logo and uh, some stickers to go on my bike. Like I had a racing team, so I came up with the concept of Ramsey Racing. So it was King Ramsey, the sound system, Ramsey Racing, the motorcycle thing, and I wanted to design motorcycle apparel because the stuff that was out there, you know, didn't suit you know my taste and my mm. needs. And mm. so that is what—that's the name that I used to go into the nightlife. And the concept was to create these sort of fashion parties, right? Right. <laughs> fashion parties, um, like industry parties, industry parties, right. Couldn't get into the industry parties. So we created our own industry. <laughs> oh, I bet they were even better. Uh, they were even better. And so, yeah. So we, we, we'd hop around the city to different venues, um, book different venues to create these sort of fashion parties. And those, 
Um, and, it, and and I created a collection too. I worked with a designer, actually a dude that was um, on campus who designed the logo. We designed some stuff with him, some t-shirts. I met some other guys. So the parties were about this Ramsey racing motorcycle apparel line, uh, creating events for the product itself. Right. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> That's what was great Just about got it. Stuck but in. the parties were really good. <laughs> so people were like, yo, when's the next party? When's the next party? I was like, oh, creating collections and hosting parties, doing both. It was just, it, was, it got heavy. So I stuck to the parties. Right. Did that for about six or uh, about six years, full time. Wow. And then just one day woke up and I was like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Parties? No, I, I want to be a designer. I want to design product and clothes. And so that's when I decided to retire. I see. <laughs> I presume I, you went out on a bang. <laughs> I went out with a bang. We had, we had a big event that we promoted for several years big big event in the city called white shirt blue jeans right in perfect way yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the party was again a dress themed event everyone in white shirt blue jeans whatever that meant to you linen shirt t-shirt blah, blah. and so um yeah we threw some p pretty big parties around the concept of white shirt blue jeans and i got to the point of um you know i wanted my team i had a team of guys that worked with us guys and girls um and, you know, I just didn't feel the challenge. The challenge for me, the goal was to take it international and take it domestic and, you know, national. Yeah. But it was just this regional, you know, uh, infectious party. But then I realized, I was like, you know what? If anyone in the promotion space, in the nightlife can produce an event bigger than the event that we were doing, I'd come back to promoting. And so I just hung my hat. I was like, I retired. It was I'm a big now. party. I was like, dude, it set it on the mic. People like, what? You're leaving the nightlife? I'm like, dude, I'm done. I'm going to chase this fashion dream. Wicked. And that was 20 years ago. It's always good to go out on a high, right? Go out on a high. That's the yeah. way to do it. <laughs> so how did the Brooklyn Circus come to be then? Was it an idea you had immediately or no? No, no, no. <laughs> I, launched a, I launched a store, uh, went to a friend's uh, house party and was telling him, hey, I'm dabbling with photography um, of course, I was teaching myself uh, Illustrator and Photoshop, all the apps, I mean, the programs at mm. the time. Mm. Um, and I, I launched, I launched this. So I found a buddy of mine recommended I um, check out this space. And the space was across the street from here, 258 Bergen. Right. I told him I wanted to open up a design studio, design product, continue to design this Ramsey Racing line, yep. um, and also design for other people. And in that time frame, I went back to school as well. I went back to design school. So I started to kind of really understand, like, oh, you really didn't know what you were doing. But there was, you know, I had a sense of, um, I had a taste. I had a, you know, there was something about uh, uh, me that was clear. And the buddy, uh, Woody, recommended, you know, he said to me, he was like, yo, dude, you should um, open up a store. You know, he's like, you have the space, design studio. Yes, I get it. But open up a store because people want more of you. You know, you have an eye, you have a perspective. People want more of you. And I'm like, dude, I don't want any more of dealing with people. I've, I was in a nightlife for six years. Dude, I'm done, you know. Um, and he was like, no, Weege, yo, you should, man. You should consider it. And so he took me to a trade show. I had gone to trade shows before okay. through the Ramsey Racing Experience. But he took me to a trade show. Um, and the trade show was quite different from the trade shows like Magic that I had been to. It was more boutique-y. Um, open booth and the show I think the show was a project at the time the project right. trade show and he took me to the show early on he was like dude this is what's going on out here and I was like oh I can do that 
oh, this dude's getting paid to do that. I was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> and so <laughs> you had a li- this light bulb this moment. light bulb moment. And so I decided to turn the front of the store, the front of the space into an actual store then partnered with um, two other buddies of mine that I ran into at the house party. They were like, yo, you know, these are guys, Brooklyn guys with a love of clothing as well that wanted to give fashion a shot. And that's when the first store, the first store was called One Race. One Race. One Race. It was all racing. Yeah, Jim, yeah, Jim yeah. Ramsey, Ramsey Racing, One Race. And that was the first store. Okay. Yeah. And what happened to the first store? So, what I, so I built <laughs> another brand. <laughs> right. Ramsey Racing ran into some other buddies who, again, I mean, you, if you walk outside and offer a fashion opportunity or, hey, let's create a clothing line. I mean, you run into anyone on the streets of Brooklyn, everyone's down for it. Right. <laughs> so, I ran, <laughs> so I ran into some other buddies. Buddy called me and um, a, a good buddy of mine, Al, from the nightlife. We were, uh, we'd hang out by my brownstone, you know, concepts and designs and all types of fun things. Um, and he... We came up with this concept, this clothing line, sort of based on um, aspirational living. But, you know, um, again, growing up in Brooklyn, Polo, Ralph, yeah. the whole thing. But it was just too stuffy. We realized it was like, oh, that stuff's not for us, dude. It's not built with you in mind. How do we create something that was built with us in mind? And Rich Young was the concept. So we created that. And that started to sell really well in the store. Uh, but then I teamed up with my two high school buddies. And... We who at the time they were managing the rapper Fabulous. Ah, yeah. And so they were like, dude. So Buddy Webb called me. Just like, dude, I, I want to work on this concept. I know you've been designing. You're the designer that we know. That's <laughs> like, all right. So and he came by my brownstone and he said to me, he's like, yo, I have this concept that's based on you know affluential blah 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 blah. And I was like, oh really? Let me show you something. And I had my laptop and I showed him. He's like, yo, this is it. This is this it. Is it. <laughs> so we partnered. And launched Rich Young. So it was one race, Rich Young. Um, we were selling Rich Young, one race. I mean, not one race, product, but we were selling Rich Young, Ivisu jeans. Um, tapped into that denim Japanese and started yeah, researching fine. and di- diving into the blogs. Um, a little bit of the sneakers, special releases. And that was one race. And that lasted for about two and a half years. Okay. And I realized, it's like, dude, my partners had full-time jobs. Right. And I was like, dude, uh, there's more to this. And I need guys that, you know, were dedicated to this full time. Yeah. And so we decided to go our separate ways. Fair. So you have like this two years of diving in, learn a huge amount, I'm guessing, right? Yes. Get stuck in, cool opportunities, part company. And then you're like, well, I, I need another brand. I need to figure out if I'm going to focus on a design studio. So it was two and a half to three years of experience in retail, running retail and this design studio. My clients in the design studio were all nightlife folks. Right. For the most part. Right. And so I was like, all right, I have to disconnect from this light nightlife thing um, and really figure out if this design studio is going to be, you know, what I want to do, yeah. or what I'm going to do and or retail. Mm. Right. And so, um, yeah, I had about a week. And so my partners and I went out separate ways and I told them, I said, you guys can keep everything. You can keep the inventory. You can keep the name. Just I want I want the space, yeah. the physical space, it's like 500 square feet. I was like, I want the space because I know um, I'm getting a chance to interact with people. Yeah. Again, 
I warmed up to that idea again. <laughs> and for me to leave home and come to work, that was important because I had a studio in, uh, in, in my home, but I wanted to get out. Yeah. And so I kept the space, and within a matter of weeks, um, sort of really decided that, okay, I'm gonna launch another retail concept. Right. And what's the retail concept? But because we were so remote, I realized that selling the brands that we were selling, they were cool, but again, um, they were at Bergdorf and Bloomies, and it was a lot of um, You could kind of get it el- yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, you get it all over the place, and it was bootlegging stuff going on, bootleg EVSUs, bootleg nudie or whatever yeah. it was happening at the time. And so I figured, I was like, okay, I have to launch something that is special, yes, from a retail perspective, but... I need a brand. I need something to really anchor it. Rich Young was one of the brands because mm-hmm. we owned it and we were uh, we decided where we distributed it until my partners kind of really wanted it to grow faster. And they were like, oh, we should sell to this store, that store. I'm like, yo, the dude's down the block. You want to sell to him? I'm like, what's... Uh, all right, I'm going to create a brand that I have full control of. Cool. And the brand was going to be Bergen and Nevins. Ah, because oh, of the... Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> so the idea was like, okay... Create this Bergen and Evans brand. Now, in a conversation with a buddy of mine, um, you know, it's like, oh, hey, listen, I'm creating this collection called the Brooklyn Circus. So every season, it'll be a concept in a circus and da da da. Um, no, no, every season, I'll create this concept for the store, right? Sort of like what opening ceremony was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And but the store is going to be called Bergen and Evans. And he looked at me and he's like, Bergen and Evans? I like Brooklyn Circus. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, man, I don't know. Something about Brooklyn Circus. And he turned to another buddy of ours who was 18 and 19 at the time. He's like, yo, hello, what do you think of Brooklyn Circus versus Bergen and Evans? He's like, Brooklyn Circus, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh, let me look it up. So I looked up USPTO, trademark. I looked up the Brooklyn Circus, and uh, it was available. I think Brooklyn, I'm not sure if Brooklyn Circus was available, but when I went, but I was like, Brooklyn Circus is just not enough the Brooklyn Circus, T H E, first three letters of my last name, the Brooklyn Circus, not just Brooklyn Circus. And I looked up the Brooklyn Circus and it was available and I registered it that same day. Right. And that was it. And that was it. No more Bergen and Evans and it became the Brooklyn Circus. Well, that is awesome. We're going to, I'm going to, let's get into the Brooklyn Circus in a minute, but I've got just a couple of questions about the, all those things that came beforehand. Let's wrap that up and then talk about your brand today. Um, Two thoughts spring to mind. One is, I because I always love asking this question, what did you learn in that first however many years it was of like transitioning out of nightlife and launching a brand and collaborating with different people and working on different projects? Like what's the most important thing you think you took away from those different chapters of your working life? The, the most important thing when I left the nightlife, I realized that, you know, uh, the clothing industry and the fashion industry it was a real industry. It was really, it was, you know, in the urban nightlife, I would say, wasn't really an industry. It was just a bunch of guys who had day jobs, who loved to party, who, you know, were cool in a sense and wanted to throw, you know, and wanted to, they were, you know, sort of popular guys, I guess, but wanted to throw parties and wanted to be around women and dance and drink. Um, and for me, I was, you know, that that was hard for me because I wanted an industry. I wanted the nightlife to be something that we 
um, ultimately could have done for the rest of our lives or as a career choice. But the next layer was either own a club or, um, you know, become concert promoters. And my partners, again, at the time, you know, they themselves had, you know, other careers. And so I was the only one sort of out there like, hey, this is this is what I do. This is what I want to do for a living. I have to make I don't want to work for anyone. Mm. So I learned that, you know, the fashion industry, the clothing industry, I learned that it was it was an industry. It was serious. Folks were serious about, you know, what they did. And so that was important for me to um, be in that environment because yeah. I realized that these were people that were doing what they wanted to do and made a career of it. Yeah. So my, my other kind of half question off the back of that, my other, the other half of my thinking here is while um, I am younger than you and mm-hmm. we're doing different things mm-hmm. and all the rest of it, you know, I have been through so many phases in the first nine years of my working life where I've questioned stuff and gone, no, I need to move beyond this or I need to do something different now. Or wh- ha- What was it like to kind of go through those first years of your career and kind of know that you were reaching points where you had to change or you had to make it uh, had to do something different How, what did that sort of feel like it's 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 exposure you know when 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 you're out there traveling whether it be you're traveling to you know vegas or you're traveling to a trade show or, or you step into whatever it is at the time it was javits or another venue and you're seeing you're like dude i need to step it up look at those shoes it's pretty amazing you know it's just the mind of you know, I'm always, you know, I, I challenge myself on a day-to-day. Like, even with the event last night, you know, mm. I had some of my guys there. And I'm like, yo, you guys have to open your eyes and see. I'm constantly looking for information. And I use that information to sort of test myself and gauge. Like, okay, what could you have done better? What is your point of difference in this space? What's your point of difference in prep and trad and all of this stuff that's happening? Or are you doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, right? And when you show up and you think you're that different, and you're like, oh, you're not that different. <laughs> you're part of this you know, group, but what is your point of difference? So at every turn, and it was the same thing with us, I mean, when I um, ultimately decided to go on my own, because that was a tough decision. You know, yeah. Buddies from high school, friends who... Um, you know, uh, again, it, it was it was tough because you know I had to tell them like, hey guys, it's either we step it up or I'm stepping out. Yeah, and they were like, okay, what does stepping up look like? Well, that's what the, that's what it looks like. I need you guys to commit full time. I need you guys to do this. And you know, at the time they were like, oh well, no, I'm getting a six figure salary here, and I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I was like, dude, it's either now or never. Yeah, and I have this now or never attitude sometimes. Most of the times, I'll show up and I'm like, okay. We have to change the store. We have to streamline things. We have to redesign this. We have to, you know, focus. So, yeah, I, at every turn, I sort of always, um, I'm very reflective. So I sort of look back and um, evaluate things. And I've done that in my career here. Um, and sometimes I want to do that more often and more aggressively. Because mm. if I'm at a point where I look around and I'm like, I'm the smartest dude in the room and the sharpest dude. And I'm like, I'm in the wrong room. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I need to be stretched. I need right. people to help me grow. I need grow. to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If we're all working, you know, 100 hours a week, I'm okay with that. Right? But I mean, not that you want to work 100 hours a week. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if I'm you'd working. Be surprised, you'd be surprised, we'd be surprised, right? <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm working 60 and you're okay with working 20, right? And, you know, you're you, you stutter stepping on the 20, I'm like, dude, I'm. 
I have to move. Yeah. So I want, I'm always looking to be challenged, which is the same thing with running and cycling. And, you know, I love the pressure of feeling like there's more. Yeah. And you can do more. How do you do more? Right. But, you know, still with a consistency because I'm very, um, you know, I love repetitive things. I love to. Um, yeah. You love to find the rhythm. That rhythm. Yeah. 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 But then the biggest challenge, again, was to figure out, and I prayed on this in college, was to figure out that thing that I loved that I can continue to use at the center of, you know, what I did for the rest of my life. And it's people, design, beautiful things, and beautiful places. Right. And you, and it, it sounds like you figured that out at a relatively young age, right? And that has then been able to inform right. all this trajectory. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's, 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 because my, I'm an artist and I'm a creative and my mind is all over the place, but I can always go back to that. Yeah. It's like the basic t-shirt, right? Like how do you, you know, you've done all that other stuff, you've drawn and you put graphics on it, like, okay, take it all off. And now it's a basic, beautifully built t-shirt. So the concept and the idea was like, how do I go back to the basics of what I love? Right. People beautiful things in beautiful places. So let's get into the Brooklyn Circus. Yes. Then. <laughs> What's the mission of the Brooklyn Circus? You know, what does it kind of do for you creatively, socially, however you want to put it? Yeah, it's, 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 we, we had a mission, uh, this hundred year plan. Right. Yeah. The hundred year plan is at the heart of what we do and it's connected to people, to places. And I wanted, I wanted it to be a plan that was bigger than the five year plan. Right. And at the time when we launched the Brooklyn Circus, you know, everyone was, of course, it was, it was the era of big cars, big rims, the Hummer. And, uh, you know, and folks like, yo, what's your five year plan? Yo, wait, you won't get rich. You're going to do this, you're going to do that. And I realized it was just like too short sighted. And it didn't involve, you know, when you think about the big cars and the big chains and the big rims, mm. I'm like, where are the people? Where's the connection to the people? Where's the traveling? Where's the love of beautiful things? You know, and, 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 and the beauty in big rims is if you do it because you love car culture. Yeah. Right? Not because you want to be, you know. Perceived as. As wealthy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and so at the time I realized that, you know, some of the people that I had around me you know, I had a partner at one point tell me, he was like, dude, you don't want a Lamborghini? That's what we're working on. And I was like, nah, not really. It's a beautiful car. But, you know, if I understand the culture of owning a Lamborghini and the, the technology and the engineering and all that, that's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in just driving a Lamborghini and, you know, shitting on people in the streets. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, that's not what I'm interested in. And for him, it was foreign. He was like, dude, come on, man. Um, I want that Lamborghini. The, I want the Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> he never got the Lamborghini. Right. I have the Brooklyn Circus. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Mm. You know? So, so yeah. So, that's what it was. For me, it was always about connecting to people, right? Um, and connecting to people that were pushing themselves and driving and doing things. And, you know, just, yeah, it was about community. So, the 100-year right. plan is rooted in community. It's rooted in evolution, you know, when you see Ouija at 18 or 19 and you see him now, you're like, ha, look at that. But you're like, but that's the same guy, you know, but he's evolved in a way that you, right, uh, might not recognize him if you're not digging deep enough or if you don't understand, right, that he dug in and became this person. Yeah. To someone else, like, yo, dude, you changed. No, he, didn't. he did change, but he is of the same root. 
Right. So the product, it sounds like, is only actually a quite a small part of this. It's an important part because it's what you're physically designing. But the Brooklyn Circus to you is like a place for community. It's a place for your guys. It's a place to kind of communicate about everything you think is valuable. I mean, how did you kind of shape the brand when you sort of got it moving and started thinking about, right, this is what I want to do? So it's it's interesting that you say the product is a small part because, you know, at every turn, and we've had times, you know, and we have an archive of things that we've done in the past, we've had times where, you know, the product was beautiful, right? But then again, um, I always came back to, 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 to the concept of um, it's about the space, it's about the community, right? I had another friend of mine who was consulting me, and he's been in the business for many, many years, and when I was launching the Brooklyn Circus, I, you know, spoke to him as well, and I took him to a shop, right, popular shop, and I was like, dude, look how beautiful the product is and look how beautiful the space is. I was like, dude, I want to work on, you know, getting us to this space. And he's like, dude, there's no soul in this place. Mm. What you do has soul. So if you try to compare it product for product and, and, and space for space, it's two different things. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, um, Vanilla Ice can sell millions of records, right? But no one's listening to Vanilla Ice and we're listening to Mob Deep. Yeah. Or we're listening to some other, you know? And so he's like, dude, you, you can't compare what you do to that. Mm. And I walked out of there like, you're such a fool. He's like, why would you look at the shiny thing? You know, it's, it's, it's the thing with the rims. Yeah. You know, I was able to tell my buddy, no, I don't want a Lamborghini. But five or six or seven years into the Brooklyn Circus, I looked at this shiny box that was creating this beautiful product and compared us to that and he quickly checked me he's like dude that has no soul like that's not what you do it's like oh so what does the brooklyn circus and the 100 year plan like really mean to you then what what's kind of at the heart of all this it means evolution it means possibility and if we kind of loop in what you know the black ivy book the jason uh produced it it you know we produced a, a an editorial um, us in uh, Street Etiquette, Josh and Trav cr- created this editorial called Black Ivy. But, you know, and I pushed Josh and the guys for years to like, hey, how do we move that? How do we move out of that? Because, you know, and for them it was a moment. And I was like, nah, it's a moment to create more moments, right? So, so, so the 100 year plan for me is possibility, you know, of like, hey, if you really decide that you want to do it, and if you're doing it not just for you, it will grow, right? If you do it with selfish intentions and, you know, uh, for you and your immediate family or whatever, it's not going to grow as fruitful. It's not going to be as fruitful as if you do it for the people and for the community. And that's always a challenge for me because there are times where I'm like, dude, like, why are you putting all this effort into everyone else and everyone else around the brand? Yeah. Well, it's because that's what fuels, right? When someone wears a Brooklyn Circus hat, It's not because it's the most beautiful, right, baseball cap in the market, but because it's that cap that has the most beautiful group of people around it, beautiful group of people that back it. Yeah. You know, the customers, the makers, the the team, the Brooklyn Circus team. And that's what it is. So when someone sees you with a Brooklyn Circus item, right, um, it's because it's connected to something deeper then, you know, it's like wearing a bootleg uh, Tupac T-shirt, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're wearing a Pac T-shirt and it's like, I want to sit and chat with you. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Uh, This idea of the 100-year plan fascinates me because what you're basically saying is I uh, know at this stage in my life that I'm comfortable working on this project uh, for it to outlive me and for me to always be here or for it to always be here and be a part of the community in Brooklyn. I mean, what, what does it feel like to kind of turn up in the morning and work on something that you know you're not always going to be around to see the results of? You know, it, it, it feels good. It feels good. It, it's, it takes a level of maturity. Sure. Right. Especially being Americans in America where the drivers, you know, get rich or die trying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, for me, it's build this brand and leave it, you know, behind for, 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 for folks to build on top of it. And, you know, it's 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 and it's not just Brooklyn because um, during COVID, we realized that the community is not just, you know, it, the community and what we built. And shouts to Yadon, who's a young man that worked, uh, created created a book club and created a, 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 another layer of community within the Brooklyn Circus. Um, and Yadon said, he was like, dude, because I, you know, during COVID, I thought about, you know, closing the store, the physical store. And he was like, dude, the community lives on. The community is not in this physical space. It lives on. So whatever you do, wherever you go with the Brooklyn Circus, the community will follow. So it's not just physically Brooklyn, and we fought, um, you know, being in Manhattan like ah, oh, it's Brooklyn, it's, it's, it's the roots, the essence. No, it's like soul food. Soul food is not just in the South; it's international, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, same with jazz music, where jazz came from, and all these other sub things. Um, so it's not just the Brooklyn. Um, always having to make sure that it's anchored in Brooklyn. It has to be anchored in the Brooklyn Circus anchored in the BKC, anchored in the 100-year plan, anchored in our concept of style and character. And that can live anywhere. Yeah. You know? What is your concept of style and character? <laughs> um, you know, being from Brooklyn, style was always important, but character wasn't really as important, you know? And I grew up in Crown Heights and I went to Brooklyn Tech. It's a specialized high school. You have to be tested in. You know, so you have to be intelligent. Mm. And so we were the nerds of, you know, New York or Brooklyn and then the Stuyvesants and other schools of that caliber. But we were the nerds. But I realized that a lot of those schools, because we were in Brooklyn, so it was Bronx Science and it's Stuyvesant. Stuyvesant was, you know, a lot of students from Manhattan folks, you know. Um, and for them, style wasn't that important. Right. And then Bronx, the Bronx was this distant place. Um, but uh, the... The, in Brooklyn itself, style was important. So we were a combination of guys who were um, keyed in on style, and then character was, of course, the knowledge in the mind. So I always felt that it was important for us to balance the two. Right. I didn't want to be the stylish guy who couldn't have a conversation about much, mm-hmm. right? Or the nerd who looked frumpy and you know just like. Dude, this dude's smart, but Jesus Christ, why is he dressed like Steve Jobs? You know, it was it was more Pharrell and Andre three thousand yeah. and most deaf, you know, guys that, you know, were thinkers and yet brought a certain level of Yeah, of aesthetic. Style. Understanding. Yes. Yeah. It's understanding. So, yay too. Yay too. What 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 are some of your kind of own the influences on your own personal style then? I mean, uh Ivy, I think, is in the mix, right? Obviously, yes. Black Ivy. What, what else is there? How have you kind of shaped your own 
aesthetic over the years. Man, it's it's you know, and 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 I continue to. I mean, because I love sneakers. Mm-hmm. I love uh, having conversations with people, and I think for the most part, when I get dressed, it's really a conversation between me, right, myself and I. But, then, but it's really a conversation between me and ultimately setting up. Um, a platform for the conversations that I might have throughout the day, right? So if I'm dressed, because I love people, so if I'm dressed, if I don't take the time to get dressed or to make some sort of a statement, then there is no opportunity for conversation, Mm. right? And so it's always about, like, it's not about, hey, I'm the best dressed dude, or I look good, yeah, you look sharp, Yeah. yeah. It's more about, like, dude, like, where'd you get that jacket from? Oh, from the Brooklyn Circus. What's the Brooklyn Circus? Or a store that I work at. Like, really? You know, that kind of a thing. Or, like, oh, I love those shoes. Oh, I have those. Oh, Ferragamo's over there. Gucci. Whatever. You know, it's really more, more of a conversation, you know. And I'm always looking at people on the train, and I look at how people dress. And in my mind, I, I play this game of, like, what does that guy do? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's nice. like, what does he do? I wonder what he, you know. And if I'm sitting next to someone, or if I'm, traveling with someone we'd have that conversation I'm like let me ask you a question what do you think that guy does like what's his career choice what, you know and so so it's really about dialogue because you know the layers the plaid the purple socks <laughs> <laughs> you know like what do you think he does oh yeah he's in finance but a well-dressed finance dude no, I think his wife dressed him but you know that kind of <laughs> <laughs> so it's really about it. that you know it's really about conversation and so everything that I do is ultimately about triggering a conversation. Right. And hoping that if you purchase something from the circus, it triggers a conversation. A shirt, a sweatshirt that says 1920. You're like, what does 1920 mean? Oh, that's what it means. Women's yeah. suffrage movement, uh, you know, and all these things. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, I wanted to zoom out a little bit uh, because we've talked a lot about community and what community means to you and how this store really is part of the community here in Brooklyn. Um, COVID's been a tough time for a lot of different communities in different ways. Um, what have the last couple of years been like for you and your community here in Brooklyn? I think I think COVID and I think the community overall, but here in Brooklyn, Brooklyn people are tough. Mm. And... Anyone that left Manhattan or moved from elsewhere, if you're transplanted to Brooklyn, you realize that Brooklyn folks are tough. We persevere. We're uh, constantly evolving, even when the outer boroughs or people from outside of Brooklyn don't realize how Brooklyn grows. Mm. But uh, yeah, but it's 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 been it's been a challenge, but a challenge um, that we were built for. Yeah. Right. And it, I think, COVID really. Um, and it's and it's again when you when you reach a certain level professionally, whether it be in sports, whether it be in what you do, you have to turn things around quicker than the average person. Right? Yes. <laughs> and so I think COVID really helped us tap into like, okay, if you make a decision, you're confident about the decision, even if you're not completely confident, go ahead, hurry up and fail. COVID really tapped that, you know, touch that button and press that button for us to like, hey, get it done. And if it fails, regroup and get at it again. Because, you you know, tomorrow's not promised. We knew that, right? And, you know, you can get a, a mandate to shut down. Yeah. So make it happen today. Yeah. And if it 
things are called to, you know, close today or, you know, pull back. What are you going to do? But you can't just sit around. And the first few weeks of 2020 in March, I was in Haiti. Um, and when they called to shut down, I called the guys. I was like, yeah, like, guys, listen, open up tomorrow. And then they were like, dude, we can't open. Like, what do you mean you can't open? Like, we, app, it's illegal. It's, you can't yeah, open. It's done. Yeah. It's done. And I was like, oh. And so I sat back and all the chatter was about COVID, uh, Corona. And so I sat back for about a week, right? Um, I did nothing. It was just kind of like, whoa, what's going on? It was, it was a really strange feeling of literally just being, the whole world stopped. And so I figured, okay, I'm gonna stop. And a buddy Kenji called me and he was like, yo Weed, you've been silent. You haven't said anything on social media about COVID, about what's next or whatever. And I said to him, I was like, dude, I'm not a doctor. This is some medical shit. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. He's like, no, the people need you to speak. You should say something. And I was like, really? About this? Like, yes, you have to say something. And I literally got, got up off the couch. <laughs> I was at the family's. I was on the couch. And I realized that, dude, you are a, a, a pillar in the community. You are a voice. And people do listen. And so... um I gathered myself and uh, posted something. And then I decided to go live. And we created this live series. And I was like, dude, you can't sit around. And it was only a week, but you know, psychologically, that was important for me to understand that, hey, dude, you can't sit around. No, no. You right. have to pivot. Yeah. Constantly pivot. And I've done that in the past, but that was, that was in a completely different manner because it was like the world shut down. Yeah. And I had to go live. And we went live and I started doing some things and that until just pivot. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that, that's really wonderful. I think that really speaks to your philosophy and the philosophy of the Brooklyn Circus, right? You were like, in that moment, my business kind of doesn't matter. What matters is the community around okay. my business. Speak. Say something. You know, give people the, 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 the support that they're looking for. Yeah. The voice, right? Because as much as I was sitting there like, what do I do? Yeah. You know, um, yeah, folks needed, you know, the voice and to know that, okay, if this world, this world stopped, does that mean that the Brooklyn Circus is gone? Does that mean that your favorite coffee shop is completely done? Or are you going to come out to this, you know, apocalyptic world? <laughs> like, <laughs> what the? And so people needed to hear that, you know, yeah. we're here, we're alive. Yeah. What are we going to do? And so, yeah, I got a bunch of DMs and emails. People like, oh man, it's good to hear. Are you guys closing the store? You know? And it just felt good yeah, for you, folks to hear. We're in it together. We're in it together. Right, yeah. right. We're going to make it through this. Yeah. And so we were closed for about five months. And that was also, you know, a pivotal uh, moment of deciding when to open and to actually open. And we were closed. Like, what are we going to do? Mask and, you know, um, what is it? hand yeah, sanitizer? How does all this and work? The cleaning. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, what's going on here? But, you know, one day I woke up and I was like, yo, Weege, you're going to have to figure this out. Mm. You're going to show up, you know, open the gates. And one of those moments of challenge, right? One of those moments to just, as you say, show up, step up. We're talking here about spring 2020. Skip forward a few months to summer of 2020, and we have that horrible, tragic moment with the loss of George Floyd, and we have the incredibly powerful, moving, 
justified reaction of communities all over the world and the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. um, which I think was a huge wake-up call for so many people around the planet, particularly white people, and I, like myself. Are you okay just talking me through like what that moment was like in, in this crazy couple of past years? It was, it was again, you know, we didn't forget that, but it was... It was interesting in the sense of where, yes, it was a wake-up call for white people. Yeah. It was also a wake-up call for us as black people to understand that we have a responsibility to ourselves mm -hmm. and to our you know, white brethren and sisters to help them you know, if they're open for the dialogue to, 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 to understand that. Because you know, black people suffered you know, uh, privately for so long. Yeah. You know, you're in a black room and you have these conversations, right? And then if somebody white comes in or if there's a white group of people, like, oh, they won't understand. Yeah, we'll stop that conversation. You know what I mean? Because you didn't want to. Yeah, because if you're not open to it, then why are you bothering? If you're not open bothering? to it. Yeah. You know, it's like, weed, you're fine. Like, why are you complaining about, you know, and it wasn't a complaint. It was just like, I'm sharing my experience with you. Yeah. You know, and you're like, weed, you're fine, man. You're making money. You're traveling the world. But it's like, it's not about me. It's about this community. It's yeah. about people. It's about folks suffering. And it's the same thing with women. Yeah. You know, and there's more of that that's going to happen. That explosion that, you know, the George Floyd uh, situation created, it's going to happen again, right? It's going to happen yeah. for us as black people. It's going to happen for the LBGTQ plus community. It's going to happen for the disabled community. Yeah. It's going to happen for all marginalized people yeah and it has to happen every few quarter decade you know it's gonna happen again mm. and the thing that folks uh tend not to understand is that it's necessary for us to move on it's necessary right yeah um and if Th you think that's the essence of it for me it's like it, it we, we need to sort of i i i cannot bear that attitude and it is primarily like a white middle class heterosexual male attitude of like it's always been fine i don't i can't i can't see what the problem is here it's like we have no choice but to actually accept that guess what lads we've had it easy for a long long time now it's actually time for us to step aside a little bit engage in a dialogue engage in a and allow some other folks through. I, I, I fundamentally believe that. Everything you're saying it is necessary. It's necessary. And it's also necessary from a class perspective. Yeah. Right? If I walk into a store, and, and that happened last night, you know, I was having a conversation with my guys, and the guys were like, oh, this stuff is beautiful, but it's expensive. Mm. You know, with that, it's expensive. And I looked, and I was like, I didn't think it was that expensive. Then I turned to them, and I was like, holy shit, I got money. I have access. I have, yeah. you know, my mind has shifted, right, to the point of where I think that $495, right, or $550 on a jacket is not expensive. Yeah. It's expensive. Weed, it's been a really fascinating conversation, this. I'm wondering now how to sort of tie some of all this together and wrap all this <laughs> up a little bit. Um it's, it's been, all fashion. <laughs> it's all style. It's all about because how you dress to, to show up for this stuff. Yeah. Right? How do you dress to show up for it? What is it that you represent and what you do, right? And I want folks to see uh, me and see the people that we've raised and see the people that shop with the, at the circus. We want you to see them as people that you can have this conversation with. You look amazing. You're dressed well. 
but are you ready for the battle? Are you ready, right? Because there were times in my career, and earlier in my career, I realized that, um, and even just in general, that I was a different dude. And Jason said this last night. He's like, dude, I was just tired of being the weirdo, right? For me, it was this balance of going back to the barbershop, the streets, in the hood, and guys would see you, and they're like, oh, dude, what are you wearing, bro? Like, what the, yo, who are you hanging with, man? Um, to creating this balance of, yes, I am from this community, but I'm taking what this community has given me to the world. Yeah. And I now took something back from the world and brought it back to the community. And that's why the Brooklyn Circus is still here anchored in the community physically, because it, it was about, and that was the same thing in San Francisco. It was really about like, you went to Japan, you went to Amsterdam, you went to London, you went everywhere. Like, did you bring that back to the community? And I had homies that were rappers and they'd come back to the hood and you're like, you're the same dude, you're just a little richer, right? But you're not bringing back what you, like, tell me about London, and this was before we traveled. Tell me about those places that you traveled to. Are you putting that in your raps? Are you putting that in the way that you dress? Or are you just coming back trying to be the dude that you left? Same thing with Haiti, trying to tap back into that thing that you left. No, it's no longer. Evolution is important, right? Have you evolved? And how do you continue to evolve? Which is why it's not about me living to see the Brooklyn Circus, the 100-year plan come to fruition. It's about this constant evolution. I think that's a really, really wonderful note on which to end this interview. <laughs> Ouija, thank you. I guess what we're saying, when all said and done, is to Ouija Theodore, clothes are a way to start a meaningful conversation. Yes, and to make a difference. And to make a difference. Yes. Wonderful. Ouija, it's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and sit with you and chat this morning thank you thank so you, much thank you thank you thank you thank you there ends my conversation with Ouija Theodore I really hoped you enjoyed listening Ouija if you're tuning in it was a real privilege to meet you and thanks again for the great conversation this podcast is produced by Birch a London-based creative agency that has specialized in the fields of luxury and lifestyle since 2009 our sound editor and theme music composer is Mr. Joe Boyd. You can hear more from him on social media and SoundCloud at This Is Joe Boyd. That's all from us. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>